Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. everyone and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. I'm your girl Jacqueline alongside my co-host Mr. Mark Ellis. How are you doing sir? Oh Jacqueline it's that time of the year where we're getting very excited not necessarily about the fall movie season yet. You probably are but we're also thinking about that other season that kicks off pun intended at the beginning of September and where I'm going to be in Vegas uh, opening NFL kickoff week. So um, I'm just basically staying in my cave and doing nothing. I'm not giving myself any treats. I'm not giving myself any alcohol until I get to Vegas. Because as we know, when you combine the NFL and Las Vegas, I tend to have some cheat meals. Yeah, cheat meals. And that's kind of a cheat existence, right? To go play as an adult (laughs) child, like in Vegas with like football toys and gambling and betting, which that is very adult childlike behavior. It's like, we're going to play games on the games that the other games are playing and we're going to get drunk and there's going to be strippers in proximity and gambling and it's all going to be fun. Like this is the adult version of of sleepaway camp that I want to be a part of. Because it happens when it happens, I never am because I am always in the middle of award season. Yeah, you're so, doing. You're probably going to be at at like TIFF or some fancy festival while I am living out. Let's be honest. When you watch the Tom Hanks movie Big, it's nice that he went back to being a little kid at the end of that movie because if not, <laughs> he's turning into Mark Ellis so quickly. No strings to hold him down. No family to worry about. No significant <laughs> other. Just just child just adulting his way through life. Honestly, very similar to our subject today. Let's keep it real. Uh, that is what you call a great uh, podcast transition, ladies and gentlemen, because we we're damn. talking about Thor, the man child himself, God of Thunder, but probably would be better off and wouldn't need this movie if he just went to therapy. But we're going to be ranking the entire <laughs> Thor franchise, ladies and gentlemen, from the first one starting in 2017, all the way to the grand whopping total of the fourth, which just <laughs> released on VOD this weekend. It is a short ranking episode, but we have somebody that is really, really great along for the ride with us. Hector Navarro. He is, I would just say, an all around awesome internet person in general. He is someone who I just like. Like hanging out with and getting to like talk movies with. He's also the host of like several things all over the internet, including the thing that I was supposed to remember, but I've already forgotten. Heroes Reforged. I've got got Mark Ellis with me, the Schmodown champion. And so he knows exactly what podcast is Hector's. Mark? It is Heroes Reforged. And in my Schmodown DNA, I also have to mention that the first Thor came out in 2011. It was Thor Ragnarok. It was 2017. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Did I say 11? You're right. No, actually, you know what this is, is Jacqueline is looking at the ranking. You're looking at the ranking. Yeah. And I'm not (laughs) looking at the actual dates. And also, I'm slightly blind. And that seven looked like a one. (laughs) Anyway, it's Heroes Reforged. Hi, Hector. Thank you, guys. I'm so happy. That was such a lovely thing to say, to be able to. And I feel the same as well, to to be able to hang out with Jacqueline and Mark and geek out about movies. I always feel like I learn something from you guys whenever I hang out with you. I just love talking about movies that we love. So thank you so, so much for allowing my qualification for this podcast to be, he has all the Thor action figures. We should have him on. And I have them all. I don't know if that was the qualification. I think Lucy was like, we like talking to Hector and we know his number, so we're gonna call him. Lucy sent me a separate email, just checking. You have all the Thor toys, right? I said, yeah, I have them all. (laughs) 
I got Gore the God Butcher. I got. I even have the Surtur Fire Demon. Let's go. I are got they all the opened? toys. Are they oh, open? Absolutely. Not only They're are they open. open, Mark. Here's the deal. The new Thor had that great look with the helmeted like that helmet that Chris Hemsworth wears, right? Mm -hmm. But he only wears it for about a second in the movie. The beginning of the film also had the Ravager Thor when he's hanging out with the Guardians of the Galaxy, right? So both of those, each of them got an action figure. The problem is that there's no unhelmeted head for the full-on Thor. So what I did is I took the Ravager head, which still works, popped that sucker off, put it onto my Thor. So I have a custom, more movie-accurate Thor as we left him at the end of the film, Love and Thunder. He kind of left the helmet behind. And there you have it. So does that answer your question, Mark? I even Jacqueline, forgot what it was. Can I tell you something? This is how you can tell a true fan because <laughs> a collector would have kept them unopened, but yep. a fan cannot resist the allure of opening them and playing with them in the garage, in the bathtub. And so, yeah. Hector, yeah. I applaud you. Yeah, no, that's really great. Uh, we're a fan house as well here. Mark has been to my house and seen this collection. I am not going to make this podcast a complete toy podcast because we absolutely could. But I do have mm -hmm. to tell you, Hector, I did zone out halfway through that because I listened to an entire month-long conversation about how it was wrong that Marvel Legends put Korg in separate pieces of the various Marvel characters <laughs> of the previous <laughs> Thor movie, which meant that you had to buy all of them so that you could get a complete Korg. So yes. I'm sorry that I started to stare into the middle distance. It's okay. But Hey, listen, there's a couple different Korgs. One of the Korgs, the first <laughs> Korg I bought... The first Korg I bought was it came in a two pack with Jeff Goldblum, Grandmaster. So if okay. you didn't want to have to go and get a bunch of different toys and you just like Ragnarok Korg, you're good to go with that set, baby. That's all you need. But yes, you're describing the build a figure action figure approach. I've been in that game since like 2007. I know it. I feel the pain. But I also I can't lie. I like collecting everything. And anyway. Oh, my God. In case you guys didn't know, we were definitely going to nerd out on some Thor, including the toy franchises. But let's get folks a little level set on where we are. I said it correct incorrectly, but. When you're talking the Thor franchise, let's see where they rest as far as tomato meter and audience score. Thor Ragnarok, 97% certified, fresh, 87% audience score. We also have Thor at a 77% certified, fresh, and a 76 audience score. Then we have Thor The Dark World, which is 66% fresh and a 75% audience score. And that, as of this recording, fresh off of its <laughs> current year release, 65% fresh and an 80, sorry, a 77% audience score for Thor, Love, and Thunder. So, gonna go ahead and start it off with you, Hector. Is Rotten Tomatoes ranking, because this is a ranking episode, wrong about the Thor franchise? Thank you, Jacqueline. Rotten Tomatoes is wrong because I feel like critics were a little too harsh on Love and Thunder. So my Thor ranking is very similar, but basically at the bottom I have The Dark World, then the original Thor, then Love and Thunder, then Ragnarok. Ragnarok is the king. It's going to remain on top. But I think that Love and Thunder is a better movie overall than the first two Thors. Excellent. Uh, Mark, uh, for your sake here, I'm going to ask you, do you think Rotten Tomatoes is wrong uh, or not? And if so, what is your personal ranking? Okay, with my heart and my head, both of them are saying that Rotten Tomatoes is wrong for different reasons. So with with my heart, with something I'd love to rewatch, then I think Ragnarok is number one. And then I have Thor 2. I have Love and Thunder 3. And then I have The Dark World 4. But if I'm going with my actual, like, if I'm looking at the movies themselves, what I think is the best movie, I actually think it's the first Thor. I think it's 2011's Thor, and then I'll go Ragnarok, and then I'll go The Dark World, and then I'll go Love and Thunder. And so I think they're all solid movies. Even The Dark World, I think that they're all solid movies. I know The Dark World kind of gets lumped in with, yeah. with for, for some reason, The Incredible Hulk, too, is like yeah. the worst MCU movies. But I think they're both really, really good. So these are all good movies we're talking about, but... I think the hot take that I'm going to have during the course of this episode is that the original Thor is still, I think, the best one. Mm, you think the original Thor I is think the so. best I said think. One. It's a hypothesis. <laughs> it's not a law yet. It's not a law yet? <laughs> well, that's the thing about having Hector on the show is that, like, as our listeners know, from time to time, my opinion, though firm, can be malleable. And Hector is one of those people that can really talk me off a ledge or onto a ledge, depending on the movie. Hey, or the I'm, franchise. I'm, I'm open-minded too. We'll see where this goes. Maybe I'll change my ranking by the end of it, but uh, open to hearing everybody, everybody's take, everybody's opinion. 
I just also agree with Mark. I really do like this franchise, of course. I'm a big MCU fan, but I think that these Thor films, even the ones that are considered weaker, The Dark World, The First Thor, there's stuff in those movies I love, 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 love. Come on, Chris Evans cameo in The Dark World, top tier. Fantastic moment, great moment. (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm just going to be that girl to be different and be really sort of like manic pixie on this one and just say that my favorite one is the first (laughs) Thor. I love the Shakespearean aspect of it as well. I love that it's Kenneth Branagh. Uh, I also adore Thor Ragnarok for different reasons. I think that the Taika trilogy is going to end up being a better trilogy of films. Uh, It's another reason why this franchise ranking right now is weird for me because we really have two of what was and two of what it will be. And so this really isn't even a franchise by franchise standards. It's just in the middle. So that's what I'm going to give for my answer. Thor is my favorite. The rest are tied for number two. But we'll get into that after we, you know, check in real quick with our boy Tim Ryan so he can let us know what the critics were saying uh, all the way back to 2011 and then coming back to today with Thor Ragnarok. Tim, take it away. Two minutes with Tim. We recently celebrated our 100th podcast, and looking back, we spent a lot of time on Marvel, both the MCU and various characters from Marvel Comics. So if you can't get enough, please check out our episodes on Iron Man, Spider-Man, Eternals, Morbius, Venom, Blade, The Avengers, and the MCU TV series. We also covered Thor The Dark World on a previous show, and now we're going to do a brief overview of all the Thor movies. Because among the stars of the MCU, the big guys had a relatively spotty track record. I say relatively because all his movies are fresh. Here's the rundown. Thor from 2011 is certified fresh at 77% on the tomato meter with 291 reviews, and it has a 76% audience score. Thor The Dark World from 2013 is fresh at 66% with 285 reviews, and it has a 75% audience score. Thor Ragnarok from 2017 is certified fresh at 93% with 439 reviews, and it has an 87% audience score. And finally, the latest, Thor Love and Thunder, is at 65% on the tomato meter with 410 reviews, and it has a 77% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a fresh review for Ragnarok, Kristen Lopez of Culturist wrote, Beautifully filmed with serious kinetic energy by director Taika Waititi, with a crackling script, Thor Ragnarok is a heap of fun. Cue immigrant song! However, in a rotten review of Thor The Dark World, David Fear of Time Out wrote, This is a superhero movie that feels like it might have been made by anyone and no one at the same time. Simply space filler before the next big team-up movie. So that's Thor. Let's kick it back to Jacqueline and Mark. It's hammer time. Back to you, folks. <laughs> you know what? That's the best part about doing this. Like, I, I'm mm-hmm. glad for Tim reminding me because you know we're 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 100 deep now, so they do blur. They tend to blur on occasion. I did know that we had covered Thor: The Dark World already, and so <laughs> I know I have my opinions on that. But I probably should have like listened to them at least, so that way it's not like looking like I'm schizophrenic. But hopefully, in movie talk, my thoughts on Thor: The Dark World are going to continue through as we rank the Thor franchise. So. I want to ask really quickly, though, before we get into movie talk, Hector, what is, of all of these ones, why do you think this is maybe a character that doesn't rank as high? I think critics, and I guess kind of mostly audiences as well, they don't love this franchise as much as the other MCU franchises or characters because I do think that the series as a whole is a little uneven. I think that the first two entries played a little safer, and I think that entries three and four, they do make some big swings. So it doesn't have that sort of cohesive vision of like, we know what this character is. So like, for example, with Peter Parker, Tom Holland, or even with Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr. And I also think that just at the core of it, Thor, the character, should not be everyone's favorite superhero. He's kind of an acquired taste. It's a really out there concept. I don't think that most Marvel characters are designed to try to be appealing to everyone except for maybe Spider-Man. And I think that Thor falls into this category of like, he is very bombastic and operatic and theatrical and fantastical, but also silly and goofy and epic at the same time. And so if audiences and critics just kind of don't buy into that and that's not their flavor, then they're going to I think gravitate towards other types of Marvel superheroes, MCU characters. So like Thor is not, should not be everyone's favorite superhero, but to some people he is their favorite superhero. And I think that that's awesome. What about you, Mark? 
You know, I, Hector makes a lot of interesting points, too. I just feel like Thor um, isn't still isn't as well known at, from being a superhero. You, you, you people, I think, know the name Thor and they equate him with Norse mythology. But actually being the lead of a superhero movie or being a comic book, I just don't think that it ever rose to the level of a a Superman or even a, a Spider-Man or an Iron Man. And so when, when you look at how the MCU sort of kicked things off, I think Iron Man was clearly the right play. And then they had a character that I think is is more recognizable with the Incredible Hulk next. And then Thor is such an interesting experiment because that was really the litmus test for me anyway, for the MCU being viable as a ongoing franchise, as an ongoing storytelling monolith and it because of thor's success i think is why we still have the mcu today because if any one of those movies leading up to the avengers is a dud then you probably don't have the mcu to the same level that we get to experience it now and i think a big reason for that being so successful is that people bought into thor we robert downey jr's iron man that in retrospect anyways is a slam dunk the incredible hulk we love seeing a big green guy thor was the ultimate test and it passed I mean, yeah, I think it is absolutely a test. It was definitely a critical time in the MCU, which we can sort of break down the very long 11-year journey that we've had with <laughs> Thor to sort of ranking this franchise when we break down the four films within it in Movie Talk. So, Brian, cue the music. So, actually, let me just ask you maybe about your bottom pick. Why do you feel so strongly that Thor The Dark World should absolutely be worse than Love and Thunder? Because you definitely talked about what yeah. you thought Love and Thunder didn't deserve to be there. But yeah, yeah. Why, why that? I think that you guys have done a great job of, of praising why that first Thor film is great. And it has a great villain in Loki. And Loki's origin yeah. with uh, the Frost Giants. And then Loki uses the Destroyer armor to wreak havoc in New Mexico. And it's all really solid. It was so solid, mm -hmm. in fact, that when they were making the Avengers movie, they were planning to have Loki and Red Skull team up originally. But then it was the director of the Avengers that was like, I think we can just do it with just Hiddleston. Hiddleston mm. can carry it as a villain. That's how strong that first villain aspect of the first movie was. You cut to Ragnarok, Kate Blanchett killed it. Just so good. A great like like tear down of the character right thor gets his haircut thor loses his hammer it's a great exploration for like bringing him to rock bottom so that he can rise back up love and thunder i think is somewhere in the middle with a fantastic performance from christian bale as gore the god butcher with a really interesting story i mean i think that it's it's no surprise that they went with this character from the comic books because out of all of thor comics history that villain gore really jumps up as being really really interesting and and challenging for thor and just visually very cool and they didn't go with the voldemort look like he has in the comic books they <laughs> they let christian bale be christian bale they still called him board voldemort though they did they <laughs> did but he but but that performance is really i think compelling and um I also think that what Thor goes through is interesting enough to kind of carry you through the movie. But when we get to the dark world, so for me, a Thor villain that jumps out is a great character named Amora the Enchantress. That's mm. a female villain. They did not pick that character for the second Thor movie. I, for, in my comic book brain, I'm like, that's the obvious choice. So for them to use Malekith, not a great villain, kind of wasted Christopher Eccleston, who's a great actor, you know, and even then just the visuals, at least of the dark elves, sometimes are pretty cool. I don't know what else I would have done, but sometimes it's very kind of muddy. So I just think that for me, Thor the Dark World doesn't really get going. It doesn't have that fire or that spark until they bring back Loki into the equation. A lot of the beginning of the film is very paint by numbers. It's very, frankly, kind of boring. I like bringing back Jane Foster and trying to give her somewhat of more of an active role. And again, Love and Thunder for me absolutely achieves that and beyond. But they're trying stuff here. It's it, it just feels like the Thor movie can't quite break out of its own rigid rules. Mm. And the reason I rank it the lowest, it's still, I still own it. Guys, I own it on 3D Blu-ray. Of course <laughs> I like this movie, but I still <laughs> would rather rewatch the other three Thor films for those reasons. Hey, not a, a bad one. Um, Mark, again, I think you've definitely already spoken about why you placed the first Thor at the top. I've like agree with those sentiments as well. Um, why? Why is is are you keeping the four the four on on your I, ranking? 
I would I would co-sign the villain argument that that I love a good villain. Um, even though I'm not necessarily the guy who's like, oh well, if we don't have a good villain, we can't have a good movie. I'm I'm here for the superhero origin story. That's what I love, and I think that 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 might be why I'm feeling a little bit of fatigue with with Phase Four to this point is that we've been introduced to some promising new characters, but it still feels like we're not giving them a whole lot to do. Whereas with, with Iron Man, you see the origin. You see the origin of the Incredible Hulk. You see the origin of Thor. It's exciting stuff. You see the origin of Captain America after that. And so with Thor in particular, I felt like that first movie also blends the action, the stakes, and comedy better than The Dark World did, which I felt like was trying to force a little too... The comedy in there felt a little more forced than it did in the first one. Yeah. And with Ragnarok and Love and Thunder, look, these are really enjoyable movies. And I don't want anybody going away from this podcast, whether you're watching or listening to it, thinking that I, I don't like these movies, but they're very different in terms of this is Taika Waititi playing in his sandbox. And I appreciate that sandbox, but it's more relying on the comedic aspect. And really, it, I mean, especially Love and Thunder felt like a music video. Which again, I'm the guy that thinks Rocky Four is the best movie of the '80s. So I'm never going to say <laughs> that a, that a two-hour-long music video isn't a good thing, especially when the soundtrack is Guns and Frickin' Roses. But if I'm if I'm looking, I go to comic book movies. I like the laughs, but I also want to feel epic, and I want this to feel big, and I want this to feel important. I want the weight of the world to be on these shoulders. And with the first Thor, I felt that even if it was just this little town in New Mexico that's being threatened imminently, you felt like, oh, okay, now we got hints at Asgard. This guy is eventually going to be in the Avengers. You felt an excitement for the future that was palpable. Walking out of Ragnarok and Love and Thunder, had a great time, had a smile on my face. I wasn't immediately thinking, ooh, what's coming next? Yeah, which I think is honestly the reason why half of the reason why we do these episodes, half of the reason why we talk about these franchises this way. It's nine times out of 10 just trying to speculate about what we think can happen <laughs> next because yeah. that is the MCU now more than it is the films themselves because they, they, they are such a clip and they keep coming in such a clip that I think folks are honestly like skipping over the part that you talked about, which is that Love and Thunder is really fun. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery Starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hector is someone that likes the, the four movies really well, as I think we all do. Uh, what do you think about that? Do you feel like it, it is a start in the middle of the song? Do you feel like this is an interesting four movie arc? I really, really, really accept it. But I can see some of that Matrix code of them pivoting after Thor <laughs> 2, which didn't light the world on fire. Right. I can see how they made the sausage. And again, it's that big swing. It's them being like, OK, we liked the movie Boy. Let's take a meeting with Taika Waititi. Let's see if he would want to. This is before Hunt for the Wilder People, by the way. This is when yes. they hired him. And actually, and it was what we do in the shadows. It wasn't really fantastic. <laughs> it was what we do. They liked Boy yeah. and they okay. liked the movie that came out after that. Yeah, but yeah. what he did with what we do in the shadows, I heard, is what got him his first conversations his, his, with Marvel. For because sure. Because of, no offense to that, that was actually a movie where they had no money and had to be very ingenuity. And if you look at the Marvel directors they like, they like that. Yeah, absolutely. TV you people, know? people that came from very small budgets, <laughs> more so than people that have directed five Fast and Furious movies. But For sure. They want character people. They want directors who are going to be able to bring that up. And uh, Hunt for the or, or, or What We Do in the Shadows has some of the best movie characters. They're fantastic. So <laughs> he takes the meeting and he and uh, and I and I th and I think I remember them 
like, I think I remember Taika saying they gave me a bunch of Thor comics and he probably started looking at them. And it gets weird and wacky in the 80s with Thor comics when writer artist Walt Simonson was coming in and did things like turn Thor into a frog. And I remember when Taika <laughs> tweeted a picture of frog Thor and people were like, oh my God, he's going to do it. But I think he was just like absorbing the material and being like, this is crazy. I'm going to do this movie. It's already been confirmed, but like, this is the kind of stuff I'm attracted to. So I can see that pivot. However, in preparation for this podcast, I rewatched the first Thor. I rewatched the dark world. And I think that even the clues for where the character would end up, they're still baked in there. I, I still think that the first Thor movie, I think fans overall are too harsh, the comic book fanboys, and you know who you are. They're too harsh on the Tykiness of it because they went, oh, he turned they, he turned Thor into a joke. But that fish out of water humor is baked into that first time we meet him. That's part of the appeal because we cannot relate to the godly as guardian aspects of Thor, but we can relate to his familiar relationships, his relationships with his brother, the jealousy, his relationships with his mom and dad. And we can relate to him feeling like an outsider when he's on Midgard, when he's on Earth. And that stuff stems from some J. Michael Straczynski comics that that's what he decided to, to say, lean into. the James into. Blake's entire storyline is that? So, Absolutely. Yeah, no, and all even. There. Even going back to when Stan Lee and Jack Kirby were doing Thor in the 60s, they had him walking around Manhattan and people in Manhattan, you know, the the background characters of these comics that look like the cast of Mad Men, all these white men in business hats are like, look at this, look at this. What is he doing here? New York, this is crazy. That's part of the whole appeal of the character. And I also think that if we're talking about some of the retcons, I loved the retconning of Taika Waititi actually showing us Jane Foster and Thor's like relationship in Love and Thunder, just the flashbacks of that. And I felt like those flashbacks still fit into the time period of the dark world, but they still feel like the Thor that's a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more kind of modern and human. And the other thing, and I want to underline what you're talking about, Jacqueline, about how weird it is to rank these movies. The other thing I want to mention too is that like, I'm also taking into consideration whatever they did with these characters in the Avengers films. Mm. What Thor goes through in Endgame is a huge part of the reason I love Ragnarok and Love and Thunder as bookends, you know? And that's something that even if it wasn't Taika initiating that, he went in and he helped with the script. He went in and kind of massaged the lines that Thor was saying to make him sound more like the Ragnarok Thor. And I think it just, it's a great, you know, story arc in there. And even whatever he goes through within uh, Avengers Ultron, which isn't a whole lot, you can still look at that and go, he spent years on Earth with these superhero characters. Maybe that's why he loosened up his language a little bit by the time we get to Ragnarok and he talks more like, Surtur, son of a bitch, you're still alive. Like, it, 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 it you know, you kind of have to look at that whole bigger picture yeah. of the MCU. I just, yeah, just the way that he does the video game scene, which actually, from what I heard, was actually Hemsworth that suggested the video game scene from, yeah, some Hector's with me on that one. But it's just that. It's just that sort of little, this guy is now not a fish out of water, but he is weird enough that he is a 35-year-old dude speaking in iambic <laughs> pentameter to a 15-year-old across the... Again, this is this is your franchise, Mark, I will say. That's the brilliance <laughs> of it to me. And look, in sports, we always say you're drinking the Kool-Aid. And so with, with movies, I call it eating the popcorn. And maybe I'm just eating the popcorn on the matriculation of Thor's character, but I always looked at him from the first Thor movie when he lands on Earth to what we get with Love and Thunder. I think that when you include the Avengers films, which you have to because he's such a prominent part of some of those movies, is that he is he's letting his new friends rub off on him. Yep. Anytime you get into a new grade in school or you get to a new facet of life and you meet a new group of friends, a new group of coworkers, their sense of humor is going to rub up on you and vice versa. And so w- when it's Tony and and Cap and they're just going back and forth with these quick quips, Thor, and they're calling him point break and stuff like that, I think Thor's absorbing some of that stuff. And so he his sense of humor does increase with the movies, particularly from Ragnarok to Love and Thunder. And so I think that that's a natural fit because he's with a bunch of really funny people who happen to also have the (laughs) same goal of saving the universe. But I think that the best piece of comedy that we've still seen in Thor, it's it's really tough because there's so many great running jokes in, in the last two, thanks to Taika. But 
the the setup for who Thor was and who Thor was going to be in the Avengers on Earth is in the first one when he walks into the pet store and demands a horse. It's yeah. so funny. It's yeah. and, and and that's also why even w- when Chris Hemsworth isn't a part of the MCU and he's in a movie that I thought was a stinker like Vacation, he was the best part about yep. that. And he's yep. one of the highlights of the Ghostbusters movie from yep. 2016. This guy really can do comedy, which pains me as a comedian who does not look like Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> <to say. laughs> It's like, pick one Honestly, or the other, dude. I mean, no, that's fair. Actually, I think we actually have a moment like that from my interview with them from Rotten Tomatoes, where basically I think Natalie Portman and both uh, Tessa were like, it's kind of not fair yeah. for him to be like nice. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think like I think um, Tessa was like, I just fully expected him not to be somebody that I think is great and awesome. And then, of course, he turns out to be this lovely, great human being. And it's so yeah. not fair. And I'm like, yeah, and he's talented. It's really not fair. It's another reason I just rank Thor one and two a little lower, because it's like in those movies at that time, they weren't quite tapping into the Hemsworth comedian because his skill set is so varied. He can do the drama. He has moved me emotionally when he's talking to Rocket Raccoon in Infinity War. You know what I mean? Like Hemsworth can do that, but he's so gosh darn funny. And for the first two movies to kind of put Thor through that more classical pace, I frankly, I'm like, I want him to be funny though. I mean, I you know, I that's what See, I'm that's, that's what I'm thinking. And then I get to three and four, and I'm like, ah, this is Hemsworth being very funny. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, but see, I think the difference is where it's baked in. Like yeah. there was a Shakespearean bent to the first one, and I think the second director um, went more tragedy. This is the guy that just directed the Sopranos film. He does a lot True. of Sopranos TV mm-hmm. shows. Frigga, uh, Frigga dies in that film, and that yeah, Thor has to. Yeah, and so yeah. I really think he was going for okay. If Rana started us off in the Shakespearean path, and he gave us more, I would say middle of the road, some comedy, some drama. Mm-hmm. Why don't I lean heavy into Shakespearean tragedy, literally tragedy? And you could tell that they were setting up Ragnarok to be the other tragic moment, right? Well, they completely changed course with that and made the tragic moment comedic and and welcomed by the end of Ragnarok, right? Yeah. So I, and I it's don't, so tragic. It's, it is yeah. tragic. So that's what I was just about to say. I think all that, up, but yeah, but, I think but, all that like, character development and stuff is there. It's just <laughs> it's just under a blanket of comedy. Sure. So therefore, people get the medicine in the food. And I don't know. I am of a firm belief that these are herky jerky. I believe character development is an engine that idles very much in this franchise, depending on the film and depending on the moment. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like that's why I feel like it's herky jerky. And I also feel it's herky jerky because he has an entire cast of characters in the first film that we can't even make more than a flashback by the fourth. Mm-hmm. And there's not a single one of them that makes a long appearance in any of them other than his girlfriend, who is half dead in one, half gone in the other, and half in love in the first. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know if I could really even call this like an overarching story because yeah, the dude at the center, obviously this is the Thor franchise, he goes through some stuff. But if the guy at the center has what I consider to be a herky-jerky, I wouldn't even say, like, if I could see that across it, I don't know if this is something that you can really say is a, a full arc all the way through. Here's the question based on that, Jacqueline, though, it, to Hector, because Hector, I mean, I know that you, you're, you've been pretty much a boot on the ground with, with, with the fan reaction, what fans are saying um, since the first Thor movie came out. So when our good friend Tim Ryan is talking about the critical reaction, I'm just curious, was the reaction to Thor, the character in 2011, and a little bit with the dark world, more uh, was the reception more positive amongst the hardcore comic book fan base than the more comedic slanted Thor that we get with the last two? Or because I do, I do hear that point sometimes that it almost yeah. feels like the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, where the first couple were like, "Oh, we're really scared of Freddy," even though he he has these one-liners, but they're not comedic. And then by the time we get to Nightmare on Elm Street six, he's he's basically the feature act at the Funny Bone. So. It, was that a a discussion amongst hardcore comic book fans? I think so. And I think, you know, I can't speak for everybody. I can only speak for, like you said, my boots on the ground, me observing what I'm observing. 
I, 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 as we all know, we tend to see more of the negative reaction to stuff. People are more vocal about that than they are about just like, I like that movie. And then they won't talk about Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Like normal people will <laughs> see something like that and just be like, I'm a normal person. I'll go home now and have a life. But I enjoyed that film. But the really hateful people, those are the ones that kind of uh. spew that stuff. But not to say that folks who, who don't like a comedic Thor are hateful or that they're in the wrong or that their opinion is invalid. I think it is. I just think that my perspective as a comic book fan, I'm also a movie fan. I also understand that like these have to work and operate as films and character arcs have to function and movie critics who've never picked up a comic book have to go in and be like, okay, got it. That's what this is. This is what Asgard is. Rainbow Bridge. Got it. Um, I just think that I can look at some of the comic DNA and justify why certain decisions were made and 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 justify why Tyka's coming in and making it really, really funny and still be like, but that's still baked into the Thor character in my mind. I don't see it as something that breaks the character. I don't see it as, as something that is a full reinvention that um, completely upends anything that they did in comic books. I feel like most Marvel MCU movies don't do that. Rarely is there a film that comes along and just completely, I'll give you an example, maybe Agent Carter from the Captain America movies is like such a great expansion on very little of a comic book character that it's like, okay, yeah, we accept this version. This is what I like. Maybe Yondu, Michael Rooker is a very different Yondu than the comics, those those kinds of things. But at its core, I think Thor is still similar to those comic book uh, iterations of the character. And even when Taika was doing Ragnarok and he was reading comics, he had said that he was looking at stuff like the Jane Foster uh, you know, turning into Thor and saying like, there's such good storytelling happening in this. It's such great character work that those are the kinds of things that he would be inspired by to go and put into his comic book movie. I don't know how much of these movies are made by a committee. I don't know how much of this is already pre-planned. You know, we knew that the name Ragnarok was chosen before Taika was like brought in to do this third film. But I don't know if like Love and Thunder was given to Taika by Kevin Feige in the parliament and being like, it needs to have gore. It, we need to bring back. Like, I think a lot of that was probably Tyka's pitch is him going, I want to bring back N Natalie Portman's character specifically too, because he probably saw a lot of that nastiness online. And he's like, what would make some of these macho comic book bros who want all these superhero men to be emotionless and badass and killers and, you know, that kind of just like, like, oh, you think your superhero, you know, you think your superhero is not a, not a badass? You're living in a dreamland. That kind of attitude. <laughs> I think Taika looked at that and he was like, what if I made my next movie about Thor being in love? Like, yeah. if that's the thing that he wanted was to be in a relationship. It's another reason I love Love and Thunder is because there is an element of Taika trolling that portion of the audience and meanwhile i'm over here eating my popcorn like mark said i'm like i love this please mm -hmm. troll them i'm enjoying this <laughs> but i can also see how it's still a tribute to the comic book it's not disrespectful it's not you know taika's not coming in being like i can do this better than the comic books ever did or anything like that so um i mean dance, i think yeah. i think what's interesting and i'll just say this about the mcu for anyone that pays attention is they take archetypes that are in cinema and then they overlay that with yeah. comic books. So Logan is a Western that happens to do comic book characters. Ant-Man is a heist movie and happens to be comic book characters. Thor is a Shakespearean uh, Hamlet tale, happens to be comic book characters. The weird thing is, is as we start to run out of these architects, look at the ones they haven't really done. Romantic comedies, right. broad comedies, uh, absurdist parodies. These things are areas that are in all of the DNAs of these movies, but they have never gone what we say full bore. Right. And I think that is going to be the next thing because like legitimately, like they tried a little bit of it in Hawkeye, but there will be a MCU musical coming soon. <laughs> yeah. Like they're mad that DC has beaten them to the to the punch with uh, Cage de Falaise. Like they're doing this whole thing. And mm -hmm. I think that is the part of anyone who maybe dislikes Love and Thunder that I'm getting mad at them about. It's like, what is the MCU rom-com that you feel this movie is not doing well? Or are you yeah. mad that this movie is not a heist movie? Are right. you mad that this movie is not a Western, which are a little bit more palatable in this sphere yes. for a lot of people? And I get why, but it doesn't mean they aren't valid. I think it's rom-coms just like be, because when you watch a rom-com, you can watch Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan fall in love and it's like good for them. But you're not they didn't save the world. You know? <laughs> and so if you've seen 10, 15, 20 movies leading didn't up they, to that, 
Mark, wait a minute. Didn't they save Seattle? I'm pretty sure they saved Seattle in that one movie, I thought. Uh, yeah. You know they? what? Now that I think about it, they met at the top of the Empire State Building because King Kong was climbing it. And right. so they had to knock him off. That is yeah. right. Um, but it's like we, we've seen, you know, every Avenger movie up to that point with humor and with some relationship, uh, trauma, turmoil, love, whatever you want to call it. But then they save the world at the end of the day. And so if you're looking at something where the, the point of this movie, sure, Thor saves. He saves multiple worlds in Thor, Love and Thunder. But he also and he saves every god that, it, that wasn't already got by gore. But it's not really the point of the movie. And so the point of the movie is just for Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan to figure out that they actually are DMing each other the whole time through AOL. <laughs> and I don't know if that's just the stakes being reduced, but I'll tell you this. Had the best time in the theater of the year at Thor Love and Thunder. There's movies that I liked a lot more. Your, your RRRs, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Top Gun Maverick is the best anything I've ever seen this year. But <laughs> You and sitting Quentin next, Tarantino agree. <laughs> sitting next to Jacqueline at Thor Love and Thunder, you and I were both dying laughing at, and I don't know if this got, if, if it got wearisome for other viewers, but the, the screaming goats <laughs> were killing me in every scene. Yeah. And the, the ex-girlfriend sort of weapon battle between Molnir and Stormbreaker, I thought was genius. And I never wanted either one of those running jokes to end. Oh, I really <laughs> did love that. I also did love too, the, 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 the girl man's, the the, yeah. the girl the galandines yes. moment because i do think look the mcu has always been sexless it's just the way these are because they're mostly kids movies but mm -hmm. i just really want to thank chloe zhao and taika watiti for giving us lots of butt and boob in their movies because right. they don't That's need right. to be sexless these if they can save the world they can get yeah. laid yeah <laughs> agreed agreed <laughs> They should. Just kidding. Just kidding. No, I don't. It helps having it. a butt like Hemsworth. But yeah, yeah it, does. it does. I want to. I want to make sure we we talk a little bit about the villains before we get out of here because for the longest time, Loki was the most um, I think loved villain in the MCU, let alone the uh, Thor franchise, obviously. And then Killmonger came, and he kind of, in my opinion, dethroned because like that dude was on it. <laughs> I'm sorry, that dude was on it. Um, but you know, Killmonger, Hella. Even you can get some of the minor ones, like Carl Urban's character. I don't even remember what that guy's name was. Scourge. Like, Scourge. Okay, yeah. I was like, is it going to be like Doug or Brian or something? I forgot. So, yeah. <laughs> we have Hela. We got Malekith and some of the other dark elves. Let's let's go ahead and talk through the villains. I think we all can agree that Loki's at the top. Can we all just like nod that and say probably? You know, you know what's so funny? Is that not true? You know what's so funny, Jacqueline, is that that character's had such an evolution that when I got sent the outline and the question was, what's your favorite villain in the Thor movies? I didn't even register that until you just brought up Loki just now. <laughs> no joke, because I'm like, oh, Loki. Yeah, like he died in Infinity War. Like, or there's the Loki who now has his own show, who's the time traveling, you know, that Loki. And they're, they're, they're in such a kind of a heroic light that I honestly didn't even remember that that he was the main villain of the first I know I brought it up first, at the top of the first show one but one and yeah. Avengers he had a, he was a villain in two movies and in he a row. was he was double crossing in Thor 2 and double crossing in Thor 3 like yeah he's he's he is that guy and I think he yeah in in retrospect he's the number one villain you know uh, out of the entire uh Thor franchise and probably maybe even still in the only because he just had multiple appearances, you know, that's, that's the fair. thing about that's the thing about Killmonger. That's the thing about uh, um, that we know of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yep. you know, we don't we'll know see. yet. We'll we don't see. know where he ends Could up. I'm not. I have no spicy. idea. But we don't know. I, I yet. actually think I actually think it's hella, to be honest with you, if you're asking me villain. because yeah. I think Loki is a more fun character. I enjoy the character more, but straight hardcore villain, Darth Vader, Wicked Witch of the West. The shark from Jaws, that's Hella. Because Hella, you're you're not spending a scene reasoning with Hella. You know, right. you might you might get one line about like, hey, remember when we were brother and sister? That was fun. You sure you don't want to go back to that? And she's just ready to wreck your planet. At least with Loki, even though he's thinking three steps ahead of you and you know that he's gonna figure out a way to escape or or bend his uh, bend the events to his will you feel like Loki can somehow be reasoned with, that you can promise Loki something down the road that will get you out of this jam. With Hela, there's none of that. With Hela, she is there to literally bring frickin' Ragnarok, and that, plus the antlers, is scary as hell. Yeah, wow. and she was yeah. funny. 
And she was funny in a way that Christian Bale's gore wasn't funny. And and they both have great performances. But that's also why I rank Ragnarok above Love and Thunder is, is that Kate Blanchett would deliver this amazing speech. And then Hogan the Grim would say, whoever you are, stop. And she would be like, did you just not hear a word I just yeah. said? Like, I thought you'd be happy to see me. Like this great energy, this great vibe. And also just a knockout, just incredibly, it's Kate Blanchett. She looks yeah. phenomenal. She looks incredible. But I would agree with you, Mark. I think I think for me, Hela's my number one villain. And she also, you know, being a great comic book character that they pulled from the comics, it still so fits into what Taika was trying to do with Ragnarok, which is he's telling you about why colonialism is evil, what kind of effect it has on a people, why it's, why it's bad to cover up the bloody history of imperialist nations. He knows what he's talking about. It's a wonderful theme that's in there. It doesn't hit you over the head. And Hela is that person who is literally painted up on the the ceilings of Asgard, but underneath whatever they kind of covered it up with to make Asgard look all nice and everything. So I love that that it, it, that Taika was able to come in and even critique the very premise of Asgard itself, you know, to really make you think like, yeah, you know what? Odin's not a great guy. He's not a good communicator. He's the reason, <laughs> like you said at the top, Thor should be in therapy. It's all Odin. He's kind of a piece of work. And Ragnarok's the movie that, that kills him off in a very sweet way but really the rest of the movie is like Odin was wrong and you know and it's Thor having to make up for the mistakes of who came before him and it's mistakes wonderful. of his father any yep. guy in yep. therapy will, yep. will will come to those things again T'Challa can relate T'Challa can relate <laughs> T'Challa exactly. can relate it's, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. um I don't want to spend too much time on it I do like I joke about it but legitimately this was a man coming to terms with his with his mortality coming to terms with where he is in life the fact that he's unfulfilled in his relationships like legitimately come on kid all he needs is like a quirky little track <laughs> and a meet cute in a train station and this is like it that is a rom-com and everything that it is built for. So I I get it. And I also get why people are, you know, having their own particular thoughts about where it is because it is a departure and I'm not in any way going to like take, uh, take away from that. I will say this before um, uh, we sort of like get out of the talking about the villain section. I also do want to talk about, I would say, the villainous aspect of Odin is much more part of the mythology. Like Odin is not a good dude, (laughs) like at all. He requires, he's very like, I'm on top. You do what I say. Yep. Like that is Odin and that is what he lives for. Uh, So yeah, I really think that that's like where he is. And this is the film that brings it to it. So I would say that he's the best villain honestly. And he does villainous things all the way through. But if you had me to pick which my favorite one, one is, I would definitely say it's Hela because I just I just felt Kate Blanchett looks amazing in leather and Taika made that happen. And so, and he, this is the thing that people don't talk about it. Not a lot of people are signing up to do an MCU movie with everybody. Mm-hmm. After, mm-hmm. you know, certain directors with certain movies, I don't know if they've all, they all can command the MCU talent like yeah. that would want that's outside of the MCU I, I, uh, to come in. To emphasize that, you know, uh, comic book fans, they tend to be very, comic book movie fans and a lot of that fandom is very pessimistic. Oh, great. We're never going to see Henry Cavill as Superman. We're never going to do this. We're never going to do that. And I tend to try to, I try to be as optimistic as possible. And because the MCU is never ending, there's no end in sight. There's always the potentiality that they could improve what came before in a future installment. If people didn't like how the Mandarin was presented in Iron Man 3 because they didn't really do that version of the character. In my mind, I was like, just wait. We could still get something like that someday. Lo and behold, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, there's an incredible character, Wen Wu, played by Tony Leung, fully improved on whatever, even had brought back Ben Kingsley to sort of comment on it, but let him be a part of the party. So I think that... um, that uh, Taika being able to bring back Natalie Portman after it was like kind of either through rumors or revealed she did not have a she didn't love the fact that it was going to be Patty Jenkins director of Wonder Woman doing Thor 2 and then that didn't work out and then they still made Thor 2 because they had to put it out in 2013 right immediately after the first Avengers film and they bring in Alan Taylor and he you know like the like the, like we were talking about at the beginning of the show 
the 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 general consensus is like it doesn't really feel like an Alan Taylor joint. It's not he's not putting his stamp on it because he's he's delivering the product that needed to be delivered. So Natalie Portman was talked about by fans as like great, we'll never see Jane Foster again. Natalie Portman's such a great actor. What a waste of that actress. It's too bad, so sad because she was so fantastic. But then they brought back Kat Dennings in WandaVision. And then they brought back Natalie Portman and I think it's you're absolutely right Jacqueline. It's Taika reaching out to her, pitching to her, "Well, you can come back and be Thor also." Yeah. How do you like, say we're no to that? We're going to give you more to do. Come on. Well, That's awesome. I, I, another thing I said, dude, Natalie started off in action, the professional, and yeah. worked through action, even through the Star Wars franchise. She wasn't just, you know, getting rescued in every scene. She did have like her own action stuff to do in that too. And so I do think she has V for Vendetta. I think she has like a, an affinity and a like to do this type of work. And so I do think it was probably frustrating for her to see that she couldn't be a part of that. And I love and, getting to see her kick butt and, and love as, and in Love and Thunder. And as SNL has showed us, she's also extremely funny. So that's extremely another, funny. right? It's another <laughs> thing foul that mouth. they, they foul-mouthed and funny. That's another thing that Love and Thunder tapped into a little bit more, obviously, than we saw her in the in the first few Thor installments. So, yeah. Don't disagree. I want to give Christian Bale a little bit of love as Gore, although it is a divisive character, and I think I know where you fall on it, Hector. So I'll ask you, Mark, where do you feel about Christian Bale's Gore? I thought the performance was tremendous. I thought the character itself was very interesting because, I mean, we talk about how funny Love and Thunder was. That first five minutes, whoo, it was, it was like watching Up again. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just so sad and depressing. And then you see why he is the way he is. So you do have a little bit of a sympathetic bent towards this character. And I love just the guy who's just out butchering gods. Like, it's just such a, oh my God, the yeah. God butcher. And uh, Bale in the scene where he's, telling the story to the to the captured kids. I mean, it's just so sick and twisted. Um, but again, I just, I felt like as great as he was, he wasn't out of place in that movie. He was necessary. And you really could not have saddled him with a sense of humor that Loki has or even that Hela has simply because it, yep. then yep. the whole movie, it turns into a screwball comedy. And, and, you, and you do want some stakes. So I think that he did the job there. It just wasn't the the standout feel of the movie to me. I left Love and Thunder thinking about how much I laughed, how great the music was, how cool the action was. And then it's like, oh, right, Christian Bale was in that. And he was really good. I, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, you the were not. You could go through a whole movie and be yeah. like, yeah, that Christian Bale kid, he's got something there. But it's Maybe the Killmonger he'll... thing, too, that, yeah. that Hector was bringing up earlier where, oh, no, now we're never going to see Jane Foster again. Now people are speculating we might see Killmonger sooner yeah. rather than later. And so right. it's I, I don't think it's it's in the cards for Gore necessarily. But if if there's a strong feeling towards Christian Bale's character, you never know what they're going to do with the MCU going forward, not just in terms of heroes or hero love interests, yeah. but also with villains. Here's, here's my pitch for that is that fans were complaining, well, we didn't see Gore kill enough gods. We didn't have enough of that dramatic stakes to really get scared by him. Well, first of all, I would say out of all the Thor films and out of many, many MCU films, Love and Thunder is very much a family movie and it's kid oriented. And I don't think yeah. that's a bad thing. I think it's kind of beautiful. The yep. ending scene where Thor empowers all those kids even thinking about it, I can get chills. I really love that. I think it's awesome that young kids could see it and imagine themselves as a superhero. That's who these movies are supposed to be for. They are for children. They're from comic books. They were for kids. That's okay. But going forward, what if there's a future installment of some MCU project, Thor 5, whatever, where we see more of the fallout of what Gore did and even that could affect some of the God characters that we met. Russell Crowe and his son Hercules, played by Brett Goldstein, some of those characters could come in with, well, we have to now act this way because of look at the damage that Gore did. And we could still see more of that mm -hmm. and feel more of that fallout. The same way that people who complained that Thor didn't get to have as much dramatic stakes in Ragnarok, I would say he goes through it in Infinity War right after. You know, he 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 goes through this story in Ragnarok. He loses his father, but then it's this crazy zany story. He's got to fight the Hulk. He's got to de defeat Hela. But it's Infinity War that he gets to sit there and have a moment and go, I lost my best friend. I lost. You know what I mean? Like that's that's what people if they're looking for that, that can still happen in a future installment of something as it relates to whatever Christian Bale did. Would he come back to play the role again in a cameo? Maybe, maybe not. But that impact can still be felt in something going forward. See how optimistic, see how much of a cop out that I is. Know, man. I can just say none of these movies are bad because the movies aren't done being made. That's such a cop out. I know, but I'm trying to I be mean, optimistic. I mean, when you only have four <laughs> movies and 
you're asked to speculate, what else is there? <laughs> I mean, like, it's not as if they really have the entire roadmap there. But that's a good place to leave it, honestly, because it's it's the best place to leave this thing because we ended the film. Same thing with The Eternals, regardless of how these films are received. Same thing with Doctor Strange, this, like, last part of Phase 4 where I think a lot of people are wondering where things are going. I think we're still playing with house money, and so I'm still excited. Mark, I'll let you have the final thought. Of the Thor episode? My God. I mean, um, not of the entire episode, but at least over the, the ranking portion, yeah. The ranking portion. Um, I Rotten Tomatoes is wrong in my mind. I don't necessarily think Rotten Tomatoes is... I think they're inaccurate. I don't think that they're wrong because I could be wrong too. And depending on the given day, I might want to watch something that I can just get a lot of laughs out of. And if it happens to include Led Zeppelin, all the better. So <laughs> I'll still stick with... Thor, I think 2011 might be the best achievement of the four. But if I'm putting on a movie just for rewatchability, probably going to lean towards Ragnarok. But Love and Thunder, there's a lot of stuff I want to see again in that, too. All right. Well, that will wrap up our Thor franchise ranking talk. Brian, why don't you go ahead and cue the music so we can open up the mailbag? All right, we have a Ketchup Crew member, Alex Strapia, Strapetta, Alex Strapetta. I hope that's correct. Hello, members of the Ketchup Crew. I'm a big fan of you guys' work. I've been listening to slash enjoying every episode of this podcast. I finally decided to email you guys and suggest an episode on one of my favorite movies, 1999's Mystery Men. It feels like it's been an overlooked superhero satire that came out just before its time. The cast, the set, the humor is top tier. This is a gem that deserves a way higher number than its Audience score of 57%. Thank you guys for all that you do. I'm eagerly waiting the next episode of this podcast. Thank you, Alex. I will say this about Mystery Men. That is young Donald Glover, if I recall. Is that correct? I have never seen Mystery Men, Alex. I am so sorry, Somebody Mystery is in that. Men. It's either Donald Glover or Richard Aduade. Somebody. It's Richard in which, Aduade. In what role? In what role? Is it... Is it? Is that I think of Mystery Team? Thank That's you, right. Brian. Yes, you That's are. That's what it is. That's yep. what it is. Yep. This is not Mystery Men. <laughs> I no. know this is Mystery Men. Is is Ben Stiller, Janine Garofalo, yep. uh, Eddie Izzard. I believe Dane Cook pops in there at one point. Yep. And it. I remember the movie coming out. And I remember being intrigued by it, but I remember just for whatever reason, it just didn't hit the. I need to go see this movie, but I've heard great things about it. I was right. It was the other black sketch comedy man that I was, it was Kel. It <laughs> yeah, was Kel, Kel Mitchell. Mitchell. I was like, Wait, no, there's a Wait. random black sketch the, comedy the, person in this. The guy who could turn invisible only when nobody was looking at him. Yeah, I think that, no. I think a, a lot of this is, I feel like, yeah, Mystery Man was definitely ahead of its time in a lot of ways. Basically, yeah. any anything commenting on superheroes before the year 2008, it yeah. was like, you're you're too soon. You're way too soon. Um, but I also think that I, I would need to rewatch it. It's been years. I loved a lot of those characters. I loved a lot of the 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 um the things that they would make fun of. I remember that I think it was Hank Azaria's character, the Blue Raja, who was yeah. convinced that the main superhero of the world, who was played by Greg Kinnear, was the same as the top reporter of that same city. And they're like, and everyone else was making fun of him. I'm like, you're crazy. The reporter wears glasses. It's not the same guy. Like uh. those kinds of jokes, I think, will hold up. But I also feel like just the movie making itself, the sort of directing and kind of editing, just the quality of the film itself doesn't necessarily live up to the premise and those It's very Joe's cast. apartment. It feels very yeah. MTB films yes. before they got budgets. Yeah, no, yep. I feel you on that one. And Jacqueline, it's actually, it's it's Kel, not Keenan. Did I say Keenan? I meant Kel. No, I think yeah. you said Kel. I think uh, did you I said say Kel? Kel? Oh, did I you say? Okay. Okay. okay, I think but Mark it's okay because I'm normally wrong, so. Mark I might have heard Keenan. Keenan. Because, yeah. you know, our generation, it's this synonymous. We hear Keenan, we hear Kel. <laughs> All right, that is it on our Cool Talk Mystery Men random <laughs> 1999 movies honestly highlight for me today hector thank you so much for joining us sir uh please let folks know where they can find and follow you on social media thank you so much for having me this was a pleasure and a highlight of my week <laughs> and you can find me online at uh, hector is funny on twitter and instagram and check out the podcast that i'm co-hosting right now for la comic-con called comic-con metapod podcast Dig so check that it. out Man is booked and busy. Uh, also, um, a TV movie recommendation because you are a man in the know who watches things. So we want to know what you're watching that's got y'all jazzed. Has anyone recommended Prey yet? 
I mean, the, the internet is recommended pray. Yeah. The You're the first is one to do it on the podcast. I'm going to verbally do it. Pray is awesome. That movie rules. It's so entertaining. It's so great. I showed my mom the movie. She <laughs> loved it. So that's always a great notification for me that like, oh, this is more than just, you know, internet nerds love a thing. Like it's 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 fantastic. And as for TV shows, I would also recommend from the mind of the creator of Samurai Jack, Dexter's Laboratory, I'm going Gendy Tartatoski's Primal, which is on HBO Max. Oh, Primal is on HBO Max. Season one is there and season two is happening. And Primal is like visceral and beautiful and unlike any animated thing you've ever seen i adore it it is so so good kind of is also like prey so i feel like those are two good recommendations please be like alex email us at rt is wrong at rottentomatoes.com i swear to you we will try to get to it as quickly as possible although it took over 100 episodes to get goof troops so <laughs> bear with us ladies and gentlemen <laughs> Uh, Danny Next, Fernandez was fighting for that movie from day I, one. Seriously, I am so glad that she will message me anything else right now because I love Danny text messages, but the the ones towards wait, the wait, end. Were, wait, are you saying that we can just harangue you guys until you do the movie it! that you wanted? Because, hey, I've been waiting to talk about Disney's John Carter for 10 actually, years, Actually, let me tell folks. you the person that you need to actually harangue is Dude, Lucy. Lucy. Lucy is the person you Lucy. should text at 6 a.m. at 4 p.m. Disney's John Carter. Disney's John Carter starring Taylor Kitsch and Willem Dafoe is an underrated gem, and I think it's brilliant, and I could talk about the movie for hours. Yeah. All right, Ooh, Lucy. Let me great, get out of here great. before Lucy is literally like, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> On next week's episode, we are going to be ranking Jordan Peele's horror films, all three of them. All right, we'll see y'all next week on Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.